It's Monday, November 5th, 2018. I'm Jeremiah Zimmerman, and this is episode 183 of the 5049 podcast. You guys cool? You hanging in? Thanks for joining us for another conversation today, a conversation uh, that goes back a few years now. A conversation with one of the most talented musicians uh, of my generation, a saxophonist who has really thrown the gauntlet down for a lot of us. A conversation between myself and an utterly extraordinary musician. Today on the show, it's round two with me and saxophonist John Arabagon. Let's have a listen, shall we? Arabagon is back, and uh, it's a good one. In fact, it's a really good one. Today on the show, John Arabagon. Before we get into it, fuck, man. I just got back from Paris yesterday, and uh, I'm in love. I am in love with the city of Paris, France. I've had fantasies uh, about Paris for pretty much my entire life. And however it's worked out, I've never spent any time there until this past week. And without sounding too much like a cliche, I left my heart there. Or at least a large part of it. I spent um, four days just bopping around with my wife. Eating and, and watching. For me, the best part about being somewhere is just being there. Not rushing around to do things, not trying to fit as much stuff in as possible, but picking a spot, posting up, and uh, just sort of hearing it and seeing it and smelling it and tasting it. Um, I did some cool stuff. We went. Uh, I went to one of the best concerts of my entire life. We went to um, an organ recital at the uh, Cathedral of Notre Dame, and the, the organist, Vincent Dubois, unbelievable it was a musical revelation sitting in that cathedral at night it was dark and kind of chilly and I, I listened to this guy play this organ that's hundreds and hundreds of years old and um unbelievable the food uh, the sounds everything i've you know i gotta say paris what i experienced of it anyway um w- w- was what i originally was attracted to in new york i realized there's a sense of continuity there. You're out walking the streets and you're, you're seeing and, and experiencing the same things that people have seen and experienced for, for hundreds of years. And it's not a time capsule. It's, it's, it's an evolving thing. It's not like here in New York where it seems like every day they're taking away crucial parts of the city's history and replacing it with just fucking Babylon bombaclot bullshit. Chipotle in places where you, uh, you know, can only order something through an iPad and, and flick your card at it. It's awful. There you feel like you are somewhere. 
I really, really got a lot out of being there. And the show I played, uh, I played two, three nights ago uh, on Halloween at L'Event C'est Lev. Great. I never played Paris before. I want to play Paris more. Unbelievable time. Thank you, Paris. I'm in love with you. Thank you for being there for me. By the way, I would love to play in Europe more. You don't think it it it, it uh, sticks in my craw that all of my friends and contemporaries are, are seemingly on flights every day to go play uh, concerts in Europe? That's neither here nor there. I'm, I don't want to turn this into a pity party because my life's pretty good, but uh, I, I'd like to be doing more of that. I want to say thanks to everyone who uh, uh, has been pledging to the Patreon. It helps. Let me, let me uh, give you guys something else you can do if uh, if you like this show. Please rate, review, and subscribe to it in iTunes. Let's uh, let's pretend like this show is more popular than than it really is. That would help. Round two with John Aravagon is what's uh, in store for you today, and I gotta say I'm really enjoying these round two interviews. When I first started the show, the initial idea was to have like a, a snapshot of what it is when musicians are hanging out after the gig, at the bar, at the restaurant, uh, talking shit, cutting up, having a couple drinks. Um, and pretty. And I tried that the first several episodes, but pretty quickly it dawned on me that the show would have to take on a more um, traditional interview structure with, with a lot of biographical information. Uh, it's more consistent that way. And as I mentioned on the Matt Ship sequel from a few weeks ago, it, I like doing these round two conversations. The, the biographical stuff is out of the way, and we can just sort of get into it, which is what happens uh, between me and Aravagon today. Now that we're at 183 episodes, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of facing uh, a couple decisions there's plenty of people who I've reached out to. There's plenty of people who I've reached out repeatedly. There's plenty of people with whom I've had email exchanges that go on and on and on and never really lead anywhere. The truth in the matter is um, I'm kind of running out of people to talk to. And before you get on my case, let me just say there's plenty of people I could talk to. But... I would rather talk to someone like Aravagon 15, 16 times until we're only talking about, you know, our shoelaces and the last time we clipped our fingernails before I talked to certain cats. Does that sound bitter? I didn't mean it to. I'm just saying that in doing these round twos, I'm talking to people who I enjoy talking to. Talking to people who I think have something to offer. Talking to people who I've got a nice exchange with. And I adore Arabagan. He is one of the most musically curious people I know. He's one of the great hangs that I know. And when you listen to John play the sax, he's got it. He's at a place as a saxophonist that, you know, we all strive to get to. I'm not a sax player. I just mean musically, we all strive to get to. And it's a lifetime's work. John's got a new record out. It's called... Dr. Chaotic's Traveling Exotics. And once again, it's on his label, Arabagast. He self-publishes, and he's, he's put out a lot of records. And like everything before it, it's top shelf. John's had a lot of stuff uh, happen since he and I last spoke. He got married. Most recently, he had a kid. Mazel tov. 
to the Arabagon family. Uh, I, I just adore John. I really do. We've played some shows together. I like to play more. We've hung many times. I'd like to hang more because, like I said, I dig Arabagon. And if you dig today's conversation, go to johnarabagon.com. Check him out. He's out on the road right now in Europe for several weeks. He's doing two tours back-to-back, one with Mary Halverson Octet and one with Dave Douglas's group. Yeah, John's big time. Check him out. He's the best. And um, that's it. I hope you guys are doing well. We'll be back next week with another conversation. And uh, here's round two, my talk, my hang with John Arabigan. People always comment on that. Well, like, they're right here. They're right. Well, no, they are right there. But like, why wouldn't I have them all? Well, I don't know. You should you just try to move them over here so to see if people still comment. But no, people are like, whoa, you got all of them, and it's like, yeah, they're like thirty bucks. They're not like. <laughs> I don't have them all. Are they all as good? Uh, they, they there is varying quality. Look at this one, man. Did someone did I, did someone give you some shit about the uh, the one you wrote about Coltrane? Giving like, me some shit? Yeah. I don't know. Like what? You wrote the article that you wrote for Arcana. Yes. Was you you did like an analysis of Coltrane's oh, Nature two, Boy? Two two studio the two studio Nature Boys that were available at the time. Right. Yeah. Was it? Maybe I'm talking out of turn. Peter said something about like WKCR. Someone like got on your case about it. I don't know. No, I what what the thing that I think Peter was talking about is that him and I hosted a Coltrane birthday right. broadcast. Right. And Phil Schapp came in, mm-hmm. and he was not in the best mood. Okay. And uh, was pulling some some elder elder statesman, <laughs> I guess. Stuff on us, so it didn't really have anything to do with. Okay, the, okay, so it had nothing to do with the article. No, no. Okay, but what was the other statesman shit? <laughs> Straight into the dirt. I love it. Uh, I, mean, I, can, I, can, I, I can leave this out, but I'm kind of no, 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 no. Like, um, jazz shit like this is always super funny to me. Basically, what happened was so it was it was Coltrane's birthday. Peter and I had a great time for a couple hours. They invited you guys to come. They invited Peter to come because yeah. he, whenever he's in town and can do it. He he hosts a segment of the Coltrane birthday celebration, which is, great. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and he plays the right shit. It's awesome. Uh huh. And so he was like, "Hey, um, oh, that's why it's tied in because he was like, hey, come on the show and talk about some of the the thing that you've discovered blah, about blah, Nature Boy, about Nature Boy, and right. some of the other later stuff." Because I'm like, I used, I was like super obsessed with that that era, of course. And uh, <laughs> so we were having a great time. We talked for a couple hours. We played all the cool shit. And Shab came in, and he, I don't know what had happened to him earlier that day or whatever, but he was not in a good mood, and he was like, hey, make sure that you're done when it's whatever, when it's 8 right. o'clock, you have to be done. So I'm looking at my watch right now, and you have 8 minutes and 32 seconds, so um, make sure that whatever track you play is done by then. So Peter and I were like, yeah, well, we were going to, we were looking, we're going to play Body and Soul uh, from Live in Seattle and fade it out, because that's the swingingest. Right. And he's like, oh man, you can't fade out on a coal train. You can't do that. That's evil. And it's like, well, okay, so maybe we should play something short. So then we acquiesced because uh-huh. we're young and naive and, uh-huh. and you know, 
you know, Shap is a respected figure, and sure. we, we, we're, we're along right for that. Thing. And it's like, okay, well, he woke up on the wrong side of this be- the bed this morning. Okay, let's play something shorter. Yeah, it's please. not that big a deal, whatever. Yeah. And then he was like, okay, are you guys going to talk? What are you guys going to do? Are you going to talk? And Peter's like, yeah, oh, I'm just, he's, he? he's like, he's like, yeah, Peter's like, yeah, I'm just going to, th- I'm going to talk a little bit about, I have a gig coming up later tonight and we're going to play some culture and music. So I want to like advertise for it. Yeah. And, and, and Shap was like, no way, no way. That's, that's, that's terrible. If you, if you advertise for a gig, think about it. If you advertise for a gig, people aren't going to be at home listening to the Coltrane broadcast. They're going to come see your gig. And Peter's like, yeah, we're playing some Coltrane music. So we're celebrating live music. We're celebrating vibrant music. This isn't on air. Living music. This is back. This is wild. Yeah. (laughs) Backstage. Yeah. He's like, yeah, we're, we're celebrating Coltrane's life and, and improvisation and living, living this music. (laughs) Living music. Yeah. And Shab was not having it. Uh, It was very interesting. I've I've had tons of run-ins with Shab. Some of them have been awesome. Yeah. He's he's an incredible mind and and everything, but he's temperamental. Well, that was that was out. Yeah. So I, he blamed maybe he was in a bad mood. Who knows? But uh, so it was really weird. It? Did you did he not plug his gig? Peter did not plug his gig. Okay, so he did the right thing. Well, what is? Well, I mean, I just, maybe I, when you so you the right thing. you are like pretty firmly in the jazz world. I'm so on the periphery, and I kind of always kind of touch on it in weird ways and observe it more like a fly on the wall. But I feel like in those types of situations, like. No matter how right or wrong the elder person is, unless they're screaming some like homophobic, misogynistic shit, like you just have to like <laughs> you know give them the right away. I mean, you could. I, I guess you don't have to, but you could. it is like an elder's culture. Uh, yeah, I mean, you are taught to respect your elders, and they've lived more than you, and la la la. Yeah, but I also know that there's a certain point where you should be putting your foot down. <laughs> And I, I and that that's musically and socially depends on what your goals and your thing are. I yeah. would say yes. Yeah. Because you know, like you know, I will ha- I will have respect for my elders just because they've lived through this really difficult. They, people, you know, to, to live as a musician to uh-huh. try to make music as for a living, it's freaking hard. Yeah. And there's no, you know, there's hardly any financial reward. There's almost never any like fame reward if that's what you're looking for right. or stuff like. So it, to to go into this music means you really just love music and you're you're struggling most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for an elder to have uh, opinions and ideas and those are all well earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I respect that mm-hmm. and I and I think that's where it's coming from. You should respect your elders and I think that. Uh, I also think that for a certain percentage of elders, their goals might be different than what mine are or somebody else's. And if their goals are different or where they're coming from is different, or if they're just bullying you around because their elders bullied them around. around. Right. Which is part of it. That's part of it. But to a certain degree, that's some bullshit. Totally. So, uh, I think there's a certain degree that I, that I can put up with it or should put up with it. And I've definitely sat on the sidelines while some of my elders have given me some shit and that's cool. And I'll take that because, you know, that's part of growing up and that's part of the dues. That's part of the dues. I'll, I'll, I'll give that. In, in the restaurant business, that's called making your bones. Bone like, making is cool. Yeah, which is literally. <laughs> and it, But I feel like if you play an instrument like a trumpet, a saxophone, an upright bass, no matter what you do with those instruments, like you kind of have to be some part of your, your, your consciousness and your being has to understand jazz law. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't be totally separate from it, even if you're just like some weirdo improviser. And I think if you are cognizant of that world at all, whether you're like a dyed-in-the-wool jazz musician or however 
many steps removed, you kind of have to figure out how you fit in and abide by those norms. Right. You know, you, you should have an awareness of what they are. You should try to live by them a lot. But if you feel like things are going a little too far, you should step up for yourself. Yeah. I think. Yeah. After a certain amount of time, maybe when you're 22 or something, you should just take it. Just take it. And be happy. Yay. Yeah. This person's beating me up for no reason. Awesome. But uh, after a certain amount of time, I think, especially as you start figuring out your own direction in the music, because the deeper you get into your shit, the more personal it is. And that's the whole goal. That's That's the thing. Right. And so... After a certain point, and who knows what point that is, but and it's going to be different for every person, but after a certain point of getting down your personal road, the advice and such of certain elders who didn't go anywhere down near that same road uh, can be discarded a little bit. Yeah. But with the respect that they're living their hard life too, and they're going for something too. Well, so I mean, you went to music school, so you know, you certainly have like a broad understanding of interacting not with like a musical not just a musical tradition but also the practitioners of it sure um but i do feel like there's an aspect like you know i used to work at the new school and again it's a little fly on the wall sort of like watch like observing interactions and there were plenty of times you know and i'm not going to call anyone out by name or even like talk about specific events where if i felt like i was observing some heads budding and what I felt like was happening was the older people, in a way, they were being so hard-lined because I felt like they were rationalizing their fucking life's work. Like, by resisting change, by actively um, discouraging certain aspects of exploration, it was saying, no, there's a right way to do this, and I just spent 60 fucking years doing that. <laughs> like, I need this to be the right way. Right. Now, the thing that we're all trying to do is so personal and we're all so invested in it. Right. So, and it's com- a quote, quote unquote community of people all invested in their own thing and to a certain degree invested in this society aspect and making music with other people, blah, blah, blah. Uh, everyone's going to be really passionate about where they're coming from because they've, it's their real, it's their yeah. life essence, yeah, yeah, it's their yeah. life force. So I get it. I dig it. Um, but that doesn't mean I have to, if I'm not going in the same direction as person X, Y, or Z. Right. Maybe I need to make my bones somewhere else, you know, like like following a different path. Blah blah blah. I can still appreciate their the thing that they've done, but there's only a certain amount that I have to. For example, right? Let me get let me give you this. A few months ago, I played this this show. It was like a week long at this jazz club here in New York, mm-hmm. and I was I'm not young anymore, but I was the youngest person on the bandstand, and there you have to come at it knowing that there's going to be a certain level of, I don't know, for me to call it ageist is kind of stupid because it's not really, but, but you know, like the, the elder statesman yeah. putting the younger guy in their place because their elder statesman did that to them. Right. Or for whatever reason, or insecurity, or just being an asshole in general, mm-hmm. which all, all of these things I think did play into this. But, mm-hmm. um, so, okay, so my name's weird. Right, my last name is Weird, and so it was. So we Only played Weird if you're like ignorant. But yeah. Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, so we played two sets a night for six nights. Right. So it's, it's an intense know, experience. Okay, so it's cool. Uh, so the person that was that was decided upon the, the band was thrown together by this promoter guy, and it's like, hey, we're gonna play this artist's music, and 
these are the solo orders and these are the fields that I want you to play. Well, wow, that's so pretty rigid. Okay, so we're all we're yeah. all in it together as musicians, but right. we are being there's a direction, there's a director that's telling us what we have to do. So is there any grumbling among the band? Of course, okay, of course, Great. but whatever. Right. Okay, fine, but the grumbling happens, but we still have it's, do do the job. Do the right? job. Do the job. You're there for, and try to make try to get your stamp in there when you can. Yeah. So, the person who was uh, decided upon by the director guy, the producer guy, to do the announcing. I'd never met him before, him or her. This person. Yes, this person. Uh, I'd never met them before. They. But before the set, you know, we talked, blah, blah, I'm a big fan of your music. I've checked out your music. In fact, I've transcribed some of your stuff. Yeah. Like back when I was in high school, I transcribed all this stuff, blah, blah, Um, What I do remember that I didn't tell him or her them. was that when I tried to meet them when I was still in high school and tried to show them a bunch of my transcriptions of them, they were a complete dick to me. Right. So that was my one interaction with them back back in the day, and I was like, "Hey, well, whatever." So, but this is now. This is a decade later, more than, and so I'm like talking to him, like, hey, or her, and I'm like, "Hey, this is cool. So good, to, good to meet you. Looking forward to playing. Cool, cool." And he's like, "Okay, well, what's your name?" So I'm telling him, he's like, "Okay, okay, cool." So then we go, and the first set happens, and they're introducing everyone, and he just butchers my name. Really bad. Like, because he's struggling with it? Yeah, who knows? Okay. He, so, but he wasn't like this motherfucker. Okay, okay. Th- I, I'm putting my hands up Got in it. the air. Got it. Uh, so, okay, fine. You know, first set. You're like, cool. Yeah. So after the set, I'm like, oh, so it's a Robagon. Right. It's right. He's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Cool, cool, cool. cool. It's a Robagon. Got it. Second set, still screwed up. Not as bad as the first time, but still pretty out. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. So after the set, I'm like, so That's it's a Robagon. I'm like, name, t- right. tomorrow, tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm going to. I'll tell you again, so it's cool. So set after set passes by, and he's screwing up the name. Every time. Every time. Now, the first set, he just screwed up the name, and that was it. The second set, uh, he starts going, um, he starts going, so, okay, so where, so on the break, he's like, oh, so where are you from, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm from Chicago. He's like, yeah, 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 but where are you oh, from? You know that thing. Oh, the age-old Asian racist yeah. question. So, okay, so uh, my parents are from the Philippines. Okay, cool. So then the next set, part of his shtick, he's like, uh, uh, he, fu- he fucks up my name. Then he's like, oh, man, so, so yeah, so this guy, oh, no, no. First, first he's like, before this happens, he's like, he fucks up my name. Then he's like, man, I'd never heard of this guy. So, you know, like, this is him, like, on the mic. He's like, I never heard of this guy. Who's this guy? They told me I was playing with this guy. And I was like, who's this guy? What? And I was like, why am I sharing the stage with this guy? I'm like, whoa, okay. That's... You're just standing there. I'm just standing there. Being polite. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, I'll take it. I, this, this is some bone making for me, right. I guess. I guess. I though, mean... though this guy's not writing me a check or anything. And I'm not playing his music, nor do I want to. So... Okay, but smoke, he, no, he's got the mic. Cool. Right, right. Uh, I, I don't know this guy, so I, people have told me about this guy, but I'd never heard of him before, so I guess it's cool to share the stage. So, okay, dismissive, fine, whatever. Okay, so next day, the Wednesday, comes around, screws up my name, does the who's this guy, I've never heard of this guy thing, and then came the... Uh, Oh, so yeah, so this guy is from the Philippines. Dude, this is getting really dark. This this guy's from the Philippines. I don't know any swinging cats from the Philippines. They're not swinging cats from over there. So I'm like, okay, so he's getting me on some ageist shit because he's giving me the elder, quote-unquote elder thing, even though he hasn't earned anything like that. He's giving me the racist thing. Uh Uh-huh. And he's just mispronouncing my name. Now well, it's been now enough. Purposefully, now it's been and, enough times that it's been. And that's like a personal attack. So okay, so yeah. I'm like, I'm peeping it out, and I'm like, okay, so I could either take it really personal, 
Or I could just be like, okay, well, he's just dumb. <laughs> uh-huh. Or he's willfully being dumb. Right. And I'm like, it's obvious that it's that. Right. And, uh, you know, I think our, our, for the music that we were playing, the way, ways we were approaching how to improvise on the stuff were drastically different. So maybe there was just some, he hated how the, how I was playing also, uh-huh. but also that I'm some young guy that he had never heard of, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Uh, so it just kept going. Right. And then the straw that broke the camel's back was there was a young person of the opposite gender that was going to come sit in with us several sets into the set. And this person had a really messed up name. Mm-hmm. And the person doing the announcing, after screwing up my name... Again. Again. Uh, telling everyone that he had no idea who I was and what, what, what was I doing on stage because he'd never heard of me. And then also that I'm from the Philippines and no one swings from the Philippines. I mean, it's just, this is like mind blowing. Well, it's also a shtick. It's like some Abbott and Costello shit. Like he he found something that got a couple racism and ignorance. Sure. But he got, he found something that got some laughs and maybe he's just not good on the mic. And so maybe that he resorted to that. Maybe he wasn't thinking anything like that, but regardless, it it came across like that to me. Uh, But then this person that was sitting in uh, the announcer guy, completely got that sitting in person's name to a T. And it's a tricky name. And it's and it was it's a weird name. Right. And so it was it was obvious at that point. Right. So uh and you've not addressed this person off the bandstand. No, a little bit. Uh, the the mo- most I did was I was just kind of like, you know, it's this is my name if you could get it right. Right. After a while. Right. It gave, you know, a couple sets if it's a little bit wrong, fine, whatever. Uh and one set, he actually got it, kind of got it right. So I was like, okay, cool, we're cool. But then he started messing it up. And then that last set, when the person was going to sit in, he messed it up like really bad, like right. worse than even the first time. Right. So that's willful. That's yes. willful. That's willful hate. It's part of his like, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I get it. I get it, man. You, I mean, I don't. I have a lot. I have places to go with my music, and I still have a long ways to go and a lot to learn. But uh, uh, if if a person who if we're talking we were talking about like being stuck in traditional ways for 60 years, like what you're saying, mm-hmm. these people at the new school, they're really holding up, they're, they're just flag-waving for mm-hmm. their the way that they've figured out, is, which is their quote-unquote right way. But if you feels somebody younger is coming at it from a different angle, it could be a little threatened maybe. Sure. And maybe not, but that's how I'm going to choose to, to get it. But anyway, so I, at that point, I had to get on the mic and, and say my piece. And what'd you do? What'd you I, say? You know, I said, this is my name and, and like, it's messed up. You said that? Yeah. I mean, I, you, you were much cooler than, I, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm sitting here angry right well, now. Well, but it is, I mean, this is what, so, so either I could have just taken it and just been like, cool, it doesn't matter because I'm never going to see this person again. Hopefully. If it's up to me. Yeah. And, or, and definitely not play with that person ever yeah. again. So it's cool. Uh, but, uh, just that one that last little straw maybe at least say something yeah and uh, you know and and everyone and the thing is is that everyone has the stuff that happens to them right everyone has the stuff that they're, they're across the bear everyone's got it right and so it's just a matter of how you deal with your shit and and how do you move on and how do you stay afloat and not depressed about it all <laughs> you know certainly in the world of jazz you know there's a turning point, and this last week there was, you know, a, a, a very well-shared article about a certain musician, you know, who's in a situation, right? If you will, yes. uh, 
you know, certain certainly across the spectrum, especially with gender, like certain way, forms of behavior are no longer acceptable. Yeah. And the the consequences are pretty swift. Yeah. And pretty unforgiving at this point. Yeah. And I feel like especially with some of these these cats like they got to go to a seminar or something. Well, uh, yeah. Because I mean, I, that is so deeply inappropriate what you just described and not for nothing. I mean, you're, you know, you tend to be a pretty mellow and forgiving guy. <laughs> there are other people who would have made a much well, bigger with the, deal. Well, out with of the that. bass player after I kind of got on the mic and said my piece, I left after the set because that was the end of the night. Yeah. And uh, the the bass player was hanging out with the announcing guy, and the announcing guy just couldn't believe. He's like, what, what What did I do? What was that? So further willful ignorance. Yeah. But then the bass player said to him, uh, you know, I, I'm from like deep south Chicago in, in the ghetto yeah. from the 70s, and uh, I know people who have gotten shot for less than what you've done the last few nights. Yeah. So you know, it, it, the proof is in the pudding. Everyone in everyone in the band knew what was going on. Yeah, uh, everyone in the audience saw what was going on. So you know, what am I? Am I gonna? No, you took the high road. You took the high road. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? I made uh, I made I made a bone right there. I made a femur right there. Yeah, well, <laughs> but see, that's the thing though. Like, I don't know. I don't count that as making bones. I count that as just like a really unpleasant experience. I mean, because. But that's that's a that's a form of dues paying, because I, I, man, I because you know if I'm if I'm 22 or something and but you're not, I know, but and you've been playing professionally for over 20 years, right? I'm not, so that's not to say that you're now grandmaster level where you are beyond criticism, right? But a what what you just described was extremely disrespectful, and again because it was based largely in racism and his own idiocy. I mean, to me personally, yeah, so that's not him. Yeah, but to me personally, it's like not being able to per- correctly pronounce someone's name, not being able to uh, look at a word and figure out how to <laughs> pronounce it. It's like it's a testament to your own stupidity. Well, yeah. So what am I going to do? You're not going to. I'm going to. I mean, like making bones to me is like, you know, I remember Trevor Dunn told me this story. One of the first jazz gigs he played when he was like 19, as they're about to hit the jazz, the the band leader says to the other guys, like, "Hey guys, let's not go too fast. We don't want Trevor tripping over his dick." You know, just like ribbing, bone making. Yeah, that's funny. Though. That's funny. That one. That one. I just said. That <laughs> that's funny. funny Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, man. There's um. I mean, like I said, everyone's got their thing that they bring around with them, right? Yeah. And so you know, this is if he if he thinks that he's the first one to purposely mispronounce my name. Right or to or to bring up the fact that my heritage is Filipino and that well there are that, that many jazz people from there. If he thinks he's the first one or the last one that's gonna bring up that up to me, he's completely mistaken. Right and delusional. Right. So like you know whatever that could be part of where that's part of my cross that I bear or whatever. But well, every is. but everyone's got everyone's got their thing. So and and with that realization, I mean a person like that, the test is for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was, I had to say my piece after that that sixth set or whatever, whatever yeah. whichever set it was, but and and that's the point where I'm like, okay, well, there is a breaking point. I'm not going to be just pushed around all the time, right? But uh, I said my piece, and the test from from idiots like that is is for me to to keep keep on keeping on, yeah. And if I if I let something like that discourage me from 
making music or or interacting course, with music or playing with great mu- other musicians. That's that's messed up. Of course. Then he wins. So screw that. Of course. Uh, and like I said, man, I mean, we were talking, about, you know, like uh, I've been on tour a ton with lots of bands, lots of friends from from the past, and and certain ones have seen a lot of weird things not exactly like that but weird stuff like that that's happened to me like in the middle of poland and all this stuff right. so it's it's never gonna end and I, oh, am i let, get, am i gonna get make that get me dark and just live under a rock or something no right. way i mean it's gonna make it's gotta make me stronger otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. It it's funny like in, in 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 the wake of you know this last year of like this really strong cultural shifts mm-hmm. as mirrors are being held up to all different scenes communities right. you know the the hollywood and the restaurant business and all this different shit like you really see like oh we were we've been kind of living in some dark ages like without even realizing like the the jazz world is you know not the most progressive world culturally cult you know you know what i'm saying like, yeah. like musically yes a lot of progressive ideas but there is a lot of of behavior that needs correcting in that world sure I, you know, I think just like with any scene or any group of people, there are going to be bright lights of people who are inspirational in all levels, Yeah, both in their, whatever, whether it's playing or whatever scene we're talking about and the way they treat people uh-huh. and the way they expect to be treated and yeah. stuff. And those are the people that, to look at for, yeah. for, for an example, you know, and, and just like any scene. You're gonna have some scumbags, yeah, <laughs> and scumbagettes or whatever. Scumbagettes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's new, that's my new band name. Scumbagettes. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, it's the, the crappy people are everywhere. Yeah, it sucks. And so, like, hopefully, hopefully, we're in the middle of some time, some kind of sea change that that there's a more harmonious way of going about it. But in the meantime, we have to take note of all the stuff that's happening, and everyone's got their own individual thing that they're bringing around with them, and. Hopefully, I mean, a lot cer- of people can can look past all the ignorant shit that they're dealing right. with. Right, right. I mean, certainly, you know, by virtue of of whatever age we are, whatever age the people that are younger than us are, people that are older than us, you know, the younger you get, the more equipped you are to deal with societal changes. You know what I'm saying? Because it's in because, the air when you're growing up. Exactly. Exactly. Like you know. It's it's less difficult <laughs> for us to not say Oriental than it is for like an eighty year old dude, right? You know what I mean? Sure. But it is funny <laughs> to see like, like I've, I've mentioned this a million times on here, but like my own like sense of like Archie Bunkerness, where like I thought, you know what I'm saying? I I was born in 1980, raised by you know an immigrant half immigrant family, liberal progressive values. Like I I thought I was cool. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't. I, I thought the cultural evolution like was full and complete. I didn't think that like I'd have to like change my own attitude towards things. You know what I mean? Or qu- at least question myself. Like, yeah, it's insane to watch. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I feel like you know. So I, I grew up. My I'm first generation here in America, and I was born in Chicago. But my parents you got the, sho- the socks to prove it. Right you now. dig? <laughs> you wearing Cubs socks? You dig? That's right. World Series champions, 2016. We waited a long time. That was a long time. <laughs> but uh, so you know, I grew up in in my parents worked their butts off, and only recently have they started telling me any of the stories from the first four, five, six years after they moved to America. Oh, it must have been brutal. 
Yeah, they 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 sheltered us sheltered us from all that for for a long a good time. Good parent does. But uh, now my my parents are telling me all the stories. I'm like, what? Man, if I if I think me dealing with some ageist right and some racist stuff on the bandstand, if I'm gonna bellyache about that, my dad's got you know like rivers to cry about of all it's the stuff that's that happened you to him. That. You know, like I my uh, my wife's parents are from an Asian country, and. Like it sounded very similar to what you just described. Like they didn't like they're they're not uh, very self pitying people. Yeah. And I feel like like something you said, you know, ten minutes ago or so, which is this guy said, Well, no, but where are you really from? Yeah, that's I feel like every Asian American gets asked that, you know, and it is such a disgusting question. Um but it's not like there's there's something how can I say this, or even should I say this, like you don't hear a lot of like public bellyaching over it, right? You know what I mean. I'm right. Have to cut this out. Like I, 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 <laughs> I, I just feel like a lot of Asian people I know. Well, why would there be public bellyaching about it? Okay. The Asian community isn't isn't on the forefront of like pu- publicity. Well, they kind of are now with that movie. But well, one movie I, yeah, out yeah, of yeah, like I feel, I feel like maybe I should <laughs> like change this. I, 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 I just feel like. Um, like every group, except for like you know white men, uh, dis- experiences some form of of discrimination. Sure, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's got their everyone's own everyone's got it. Thing. And I feel like within most gr- with among most groups, other people are at least semi familiar with what that experience is, what it looks like, what it feels like. Sure, but I feel like with Asian American people, it's less known. Largely because they're raised by people like your parents and like her parents who are just sort of like, no, no, it doesn't matter. You know, we're moving forward. We're going to keep this to ourselves. You know, it, it's not for them to know anyway. It's just let's let's just move forward in society. Right. Um, so the experience, yeah, that experience I feel like isn't as commonly known. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. But the thing is, is that my parents sheltered us from that or whatever, but they, man, within five or six years, they did move forward. Like what yeah. you're saying. They, man, they came from nothing and now mm-hmm. they're totally cool and retired and chilling which is another part of the asian american experience i mean all of my asian friends uh who are raised in this country have parents not all but many of them who have literally done it in one generation left a country came to another country with very few resources and were able to you know by the time their kids were of college age send them to really good schools and get them kind of set up Right, you know, and that's that's very specific. That was a really that was a really proactive goal by my parents. Yeah. Now, now that I know, yeah. in hindsight, after they've told me all this stuff, I didn't know. But I, but where I was going with it is that I was grow, growing up, and we were totally happy, and we're, like my my brother and sister and I, we were totally chill. We didn't realize there was all this right crap out there. <laughs> right, right. And so, uh, you know, being put myself in this music world or whatever, you have to deal with all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And so it's definitely been an awakening over the last 20 years to see yeah. all this, this stuff happen. And like I said, it's not the first time and it's not going to be the last right. for this kind of stuff. But it's it's just put it in the bank, you know, like put it in the memory bank and like, part, yeah. and uh, hopefully be better equipped for it next time. Maybe I can proactively stop it so that after the first time he says it, says weird stuff, I can pull him aside and be like, yeah, not cool. Yeah. See, I'm such a fuck, though, that, like, my <laughs> first, like, instinct would be to grab the mic back and be like, hey, if you know how to read, you wouldn't have such a hard time saying my name. <laughs> uh, it took me six sets, but whatever. Yeah, but then, you know, I, but that's, like, blowing the thing up, because then it would just would have been pff, done, nowhere to go from there, except for, like, further aggression. Right. 
but uh yeah that respect my elder thing i'm 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 slow <laughs> yeah until i get older and maybe when i get older i won't i'll give less of a crap about it so the last time we talked on these mics was about five years ago <laughs> You've done a lot of solo playing since then. Yeah, that's kind of become. Like, are you still? Are you still doing a lot of solo playing? Uh, yeah, as much as I can. Um, I have a solo mezzo soprano saxophone record coming out early next year. So when, <laughs> So the first solo you did a solo record like three years ago that came out. Yeah, and that was sopranino. Solo, solo sopranino, right? Solo sopranino, and then the next one is solo mezzo soprano saxophone. Mezzo soprano. Yeah, and then that night you played solo at the Stone uh, before I played. A year ago or whatever, you were playing like some weird sax that was like a horn in F or something. Yeah, hey, that's the mezzo soprano. That's the mezzo soprano. That's the one. Yeah. Okay. So, so I was doing a bunch of solo gigs leading up, which included your Stone yeah. gig, uh, leading up to recording this this mezzo soprano record. Um, what is it about these horns that makes you want to do solo stuff? Well, I like, I like all these random saxophones. I I, I just started. You become one I, of those I, guys. I, well. Kind of, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I got a Sopranino. I bought a Sopranino for, for for cheap from Greg Osby because uh-huh. he had one and he wasn't going to use it. And so I started playing that thing. I'm like, this thing is insane. Yeah. This thing is crazy. Uh, so I started traveling around a lot with it because Back it, it fit, my, easy, fit in the backpack. Yeah. Just have it all all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then I started realizing that it's it's the the Sopranino does can do different things than the other saxophones just by the size, the timbre. Uh, everything about it. there's just weird things that can happen on it that don't happen on an alto for some reason mm-hmm. or a tenor especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then that led to me being like, "Cool, let's do a solo record on that." And from that, I was like, "Well, what are what other sa- what other saxophones are there, and will they do weird things too? Mm-hmm. And how can I take those weird things or different things that those weirder saxophones do and bring them back to my alto and tenor playing?" Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like this weird loop thing sure. that I just. I want it, I want all the saxophones to help each other. I mean, it's, it's interesting to 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 me th- that when you have someone like yourself, you know, who was really put in the hours to learn their instrument, but then to go to uh, a different member of the saxophone family. So you've got your fundamentals, you got your musical ideas in place, but because there are physical things that are going to happen that you're unaccustomed to, if you're more likely to do weird things with those those things because you're not like a dyed in the wool sopranino player. That's. That's the that's where the that's where the fun and the possibilities lie. Yeah. Because yeah, I put in like thousands of hours on alto. Uh that's there's a there's a foundation there's a building there already. Uh-huh. Whereas the Sovereigno is still a saxophone, but it's there's enough of a difference there that maybe it's an addition to the building. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this other room. Yeah. And maybe some of the furniture from that new room can also work in the original foundation, maybe, hopefully. You did a tour with the Sopranino, right? Yeah. How'd that go? It was awesome. Yeah? It, man, solo playing. I mean, I've, I've been a fan of solo playing for, for you know, 15 years best. now. But when you, when you get... But, it was, but I, was, I don't know if five years ago... No, we wouldn't have talked about this because I didn't right. even we do the record yet. Uh, I've just been always afraid to do it because the solo, solo playing is, is the most naked, bare, bare your soul... This is completely you kind of playing. There is because every decision's up to you, mm-hmm. and maybe you can interact with your audience or yourself or the room or something. But, but all the decisions are really coming from and inputting with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really afraid to do it for a long time. So that's opera- preparing for that Sopranino record really changed my whole thing. Not only like musically or whatever, but also philosophically, yeah. and also like 
it's partially because of my soul plane that I can be like, okay, I can respect my elders, but also I have to see where their path is coming from and where it's going. And maybe it doesn't intersect mine at all because announcer guy, willfully ignorant announcer guy, there's no solo playing aspect where he wants, he doesn't have any aspirations for that. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with his world. So my world is not going to intersect his in many places past like a lover, mm-hmm. like straight ahead jazz mm-hmm. in some way. Um, so then there's only X amount of shits I need to give about his uh, elder statesmanness mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But like the fearfulness of, of going on stage and playing solo. That's the best. <laughs> it's a motherfucker too. Yeah, it's the best. It's cause it's, it doesn't, how can I say this? Like to me where I get tripped up a lot with it and like I have to play this show, um, on Wednesday that I'm like kind of fucking nervous about for no reason. I've done a hundred thousand solo shows. Like I, you know, but I, I, I'm I, where I kind of get constantly tripped up is like, how free am I going to allow myself to be in this? And it's, it's, that sounds so stupid. I realize, but like, you know, if I start with an idea for me, it's often a matter of like how quick, how long do I need to stay with this idea and how long can I abandon it? And like, where's the integrity of this set? Is this right. set? Does this set have like a structural integrity that is valuable and in, and engaging with an audience? Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess my whole normal improvisational mindset is coming from like the kind of the Sonny Rollins thing, where like I'm gonna try to stay as proactively in it as possible at all times, and mm-hmm. that means that X percentage of it might not be my best presentation because I was going for it. Yeah. And maybe it falls flat. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> but do you, when you're playing solo, because I, you know, I played a solo show last week and this fucking thing happened where like I was in something and I was like, oh, this isn't working. This isn't working. And it was that, that, that thing of like, all right, well, how am I going to get out of here? How am I going to navigate my way to the next thing? Is that something you struggle with? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, what does that look like when you're playing solo and you find yourself in a situation that's just not really elevating you (laughs) i mean there have been times where i'll just stop and i'll and i'll start something else right like i'll take a minimally uncomfortable amount of silence and then just start something new yeah so that kind of makes it work right because then there's some weird ass drama that just happened and everyone's like what was that absolutely or i'll stick with that non-working idea for way too long to see if i can wiggle myself out of it yeah those are my first two options i guess yeah that I'll yeah, go yeah. To. there's something about like okay this didn't sound good the first second and third time i <laughs> yeah. played it let me play it another 20 <laughs> times and see if that does something to it i mean there's that great roscoe mitchell solo nuna uh where he plays the same line like like dozens and dozens of times and eventually the audience starts booing because they're like what is this that's awesome yeah that's so so I, so the solo thing has really opened up my mind philosophically like what's possible what's not and why not and why so yeah and so that will transfer into when i'm playing on stage with a willfully ignorant cat okay. <laughs> so because so then my my way of normally playing if i'm in that straight ahead jazz bag or whatever it's influenced philosophically by all these experiences i've had as a solo player mm-hmm. so maybe my my way of playing is going to be a little bit more adventurous than that guy who's lived his entire life in the straight ahead thing. That's so that's going to be yeah. someone's cup of tea and that's going to be someone, someone's like, oh, I don't like John's playing at all compared to this other guys. Cause John's isn't the, the right quote unquote right thing. Right. 
but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, to me, the, the such a major crucial component of being an improviser and of improvisation is the balance of musicianship with what your standards, what your values, and what your philosophical standpoint is, which oh. is something that is always changing and evolving. Yeah. But it represents what you play musically does represent a very internal process and a very... Um, like it, 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 it's a whole spectrum from like I know people who are like dyed in the wool communists, <laughs> for real, and it, it's a crucial part of the it's way they funny. they approach group improvisation. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So my my solo Sopranino record, it was really militant in that. So this was like three years ago, four or five years ago, when I was starting to conceive it, whatever, blah blah blah, and I felt like. It was going to be my first solo thing, so I had to make a statement. And yeah. I didn't want to be a jazz guy, goddammit. Right. I didn't want to be pigeonholed as a jazz guy. You know, I play with a lot of jazz people, and I've studied the music a lot, and I love it a lot. There's and you're really more, good at it. There's more to what I, I like other kinds of music as well. Yeah. And, you know, I love the experimental and other stuff too. So I had a statement to make with my solo record. It's like, it's not going to be jazz. It's not a jazz record. So I, I purposefully made it that there's no... There might be like five seconds worth of, of what you could consider jazz on the mm. whole 40-minute thing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is my statement about it. Yeah, I can do other things too, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so in listening back to it later, I'm like, wow, I'm being really <laughs> – I'm like going over the top like, okay, there's no jazz here. There's no jazz here. And I'm really making that point like mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. So what's funny is three years later – I've been able to put a ton of time into the mezzo-soprano. I'm figuring out what that instrument does differently. And when I was starting to, to prepare for that record, those thoughts of like, this isn't jazz, this isn't jazz, it's not there anymore. It's Or or it's there to less of a degree. So this record that's coming out, it's a, it allows for more... It's more mature record. It's more... It's more round, well-rounded. I mean, do you... When, when you look back at the record from three years ago where you were making this really you know, intense decision to do things a specific way without certain aspects of, of your musicianship. Do you look back on it and wish you had done it differently? No, no, right. that's cause that's a reflection of when, what I was in. That's exactly right. And that's cool. Yeah. And that's why I think I'm able to like get past all the BS that the people throw or whatever, because if I'm in music for a lifetime, the my at the end on my deathbed, I'm going to be able to look back at my discography and it's going to rem remind me of, what, what I was like when I was 34 years Isn't old. Isn't that, you know, we're, we're both people that self-release records. Yeah. Which means we put a lot of money into it. Yeah. Um, but, like, when I when I look at my records, my discography like that, like like a series, like a, like a bunch of markers in the road, and in a sense, like a time capsule, it's worth every fucking penny. Totally. Worth every fucking penny. Totally. The record that I put out that's, like, one track for, like, 80 minutes, With like, you nonstop. No, uh, well, that, there's one of those yeah. too, but there's one I did with Barry Altschul and Peter uh -huh. Brendler, and it's just nonstop. Right. And like, it's funny looking back on that record. I don't know that I could or would make that record again. So I'm really glad I went and did it at the time. Yeah. Because I'm super proud of that record. And it's hilarious and awesome. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Barry plays his ass off on that record uh, in a completely different way than I've heard him in any other situation. Right. Um, so I wouldn't make it now if I just stored that idea away and be like, you know, this is a good idea or not so good idea, but I, I want to do something with that someday. I would never do anything with it now. Right. So part of the reason why I started my own label is because like, man, I got to strike while the iron's hot, not, you know, 
popularity wise or anything, but like the ideas, you know, because that's the most important part. This you know, might if, be we're, the, if we're artists, we got to do the art part of it. Right. This might be narcissistic of me, but there's an aspect that I really relish. Like I only play with people who I really fucking love and dig. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, um, and when I've brought people in to do a project with me, a record or a gig or whatever, and I hear them playing in a way that like I haven't really heard them play before. I'm like, man, I hope people listening realize how fucking rad this is to, to be able to hear this person play like this. So awesome. Yeah. So awesome. Like to, to create a structure for them to do something that is, you know, a little bit different from what they normally do is yeah. heaven to me. So this record that I put out in May, it's a quintet. That you just gave me out there. Yeah. It's yeah. a quint. It's called Dr. Quixotics Traveling Exotics. So and it's a qu- it's my, it's my jet, quote unquote jazz quintet. Uh, it's got Rudy Royston, it's got Luis Perdomo, it's got Yasushi Nakamura, and for most of the tracks, it's got Tim Higgins. Uh-huh. Now, I wrote this music, and it's like sweets. It's like each tune has like these like different rooms, and they all you go in and out of these doors. So each song is like fifteen minutes long because yeah. it goes through all this stuff. Um, so it's not jazz really because there's no there's no jazz radio stations going to play any of these tunes, <laughs> which is fine. But this is this this is the period that I'm in. I was in at the time when yeah. I wrote all this stuff, so. I'm really glad it got documented because I'm not in that mindset anymore. But um, I gave Tim this music, and Tim's been one of my heroes Tim, since Tim Hayes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's been one of my heroes since his '90s Blue Note records and all right. that stuff. And I gave him the music. I'm like, okay, so check this out. It might be a little bit different than what you're playing recently or whatever. And the stuff he plays on the record. Is complete. It's it's amazing, and not that he he plays amazing all the time. Yeah. But the 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 type of amazing he plays on this record is different. It's really unique. Yeah. And it's and it's still Tim, and it's still his soul and his spirit and his vibe. But having him deal with like these musicians that he doesn't get to play with a ton, and also these compositions that are like trapdoor, weird, weird forms, weird, non changes, all this mm-hmm. stuff. And hearing him navigate those things with such grace and, and beauty, like that, the stuff he plays on that record doesn't exist in his discography, and that's right. the shit, right? And that, and that's, and you know, like, and 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 seeing that, so philosophically, seeing that back in whatever last year when we recorded it, last September or whatever, since then, and realizing, I'm like, man, I'm proud because Tim plays completely different on this record than he does anywhere else, yeah. and I think so, people appreciate that. Totally. To given that opportunity. So then now, when I'm playing on somebody's record, I'm like, how can I play completely different on this one? Sometimes it's proactive. How can I play different on this record? Right. What, what can I do now that's different? And sometimes it just happens. Because right. I don't want to like overthink a lot of things, but uh-huh. sometimes it happens. And so that's the goal. And then if you play different on somebody else's record, maybe you can bring that into your normal thing. Now. I don't know. Have you done a lot of session work? I mean, I, I know you play in a lot of people's bands, like side manning, but have you done a lot of session work, like showing up, to play a sax part on a recording? Some. I don't think that... That world doesn't necessarily exist that much anymore for, like, you know, jingles and movies and things. I don't know. Like, or even, like, bands. Like, a lot of... Like, like, you know, I was I had Stuart Bogey in here recently, mm-hmm. and the majority of his output is doing session work with bands, like Arcade Fire, and... Well, I think he's, like, a member of that band now, but, like, Iron and Wine, like, he's gone in, and they're like, hey, do something on the saxophone to, you know, elevate the song. Okay, now, here's the thing. <laughs> So when I started, I, I'm sure five years ago we talked about like me starting in high school and yeah, not yeah. caring that much and blah, right. blah, and I just wanted to be in a high school jazz band and like blah, blah, and it's eventually it morphs, right? In the years since, I've been able to look back and be like, okay, when I started in Chicago playing, I just loved being on the bandstand and playing music. 
fun. It was right. really fun. Right. And so I didn't care what style of music it, it was. I didn't really even care about the quality of it. I just wanted to keep playing music. And then when I got older and like, oh, I had to pay rent and I had to put food on the table and stuff. It's, it's like, okay, gigs. I got to get some gigs. So whatever gigs come up to, to pay, I'm going to do. Yeah. And then wait, I can't really hang on this type of type of music. So I have to shed this stuff. Oh, you know, I got asked to do this gig. I did it and I wasn't really happy with how I played on it. So I have to shed this type of music. So it all, it all came, my love for different styles of music and stuff happened first of all, because I love music first and foremost, more than being a musician. And then second, because you love music more than being a musician. Yeah, man. Yeah. Music is the shit. Yeah, it's pretty and good. even if I couldn't play anymore, I'd still listen to it all the time. And it's pretty it. good. Yeah. Uh, but it really also happened because I wanted to keep playing gigs. And so that's really a working man's mentality. Mm-hmm. To, you know, like I'm going to go out the door every 5 p.m., go to the wherever, go to the place X, Y, or Z, do the job as best as I can, collect the money, go home, rinse and repeat, and do it as often as possible so that I can live okay with the bread and and just do the best job I can so I can continually get called and it'll expand, it'll like roll down the hill and mm-hmm. snowball and... I'll just be working all the time and that's awesome. And for my twenties or something, that was, that was the shit. That's all it's I good needed. Life. You enjoyed that's it. all I needed. Yeah. Uh, just to be around people that lo- loved music as much as I did and to get paid for it. That's amazing. And at a certain point after that, well before the solo record, but the solo record really is the epitome of where I'm getting at with this. At a certain point after years and years of doing this working man mentality of it, uh, I decided, I was like, okay, wait, I've been playing all these gigs, been playing hundreds and hundreds of gigs. Okay. Now maybe I wanted more quality out of it, or maybe I started getting more particular about stuff, or maybe I started playing enough people's bands where like I was starting to pick out the things that the band leaders were doing that I loved and things that I was like, eh, it's kind of weird. And then I was like, well, maybe I can start putting together some kind of projects or being in projects more often than not that have these ideal qualities of stuff that I'm starting to figure out that I like about music Mm -hmm. as opposed to just being like, yay, music, I'm I'm part of it. And so now my path went from being this like working uh, utilitarian musician, I guess, or whatever, to one that's a little bit more, I don't want to say artistic, but more more specified. More focused. More focused into what my ideals are philosophically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both musically and in life and blah, blah, blah. And so I kind of took this like left turn or like slight left turn into this more focused, more artistic kind of thinking about music. And so like in my mind, I'm behind because for this type of music that we all love, like the more, the, the more not cerebral, but the, the more, the more, the, the less popular stuff or like the more artistic stuff, the more creative things, I would say this: the stuff that that more represents a person's journey and evolution as a person. You dig it. Yeah. So now I'm on that road, and and it's been a long process to try to figure out what that is. Some people knew when they were 15 or five, even. I've met plenty of musicians in this scene and different scenes that are like, yeah, I was I came out of the womb, and I knew exactly how that I wanted to make. The weirdest, mu- this weirdest music possible, and I've been doing it for forty years. So that person's lucky because they didn't have to go through this right. p- period of, of spinning wheels that I did. I'm forever thankful for the period, you know, because 
I'm forever thankful for that period for me because I would not have gotten to where I am without without uh-huh. that. Because uh-huh. I didn't come to music with the expectation ex- expectation to make a living out of it. But now that I'm on this path, I'm looking for musicians that have been on this path, and I try to learn from that. Um, so I can appreciate I can appreciate other musicians who have different paths that are, that are the working man thing, and they're doing that because that's that's a hard living. It's hard, man, and it's it takes a lot of skills, and it takes a lot of selflessness. And a lot of empathy to figure out what you need to do to have someone keep hiring you. Yeah. Um, but but these empathy, days, yeah. But but these days, I'm trying to figure out how to keep those skills that I've learned, but also insert more of my own personal thing. Now, the way it so- ties into the Sopranino thing is several years after I took this turn and it started growing. Because at first, I didn't even know I was making that turn. I would just be like, oh, I don't really want to do that gig, and I didn't know why. But then later, years later, I'm like, oh, it's because. You know, I was kind of looking in a different direction than that. But the funny thing is the year that the Sopranino record came out. So I prepared for that Sopranino solo record for a year, every day, hours, solo, listening to myself, recording myself, listening to it, taking notes, trying different things, playing in different spaces because, because I was deathly afraid of putting this record out, but I knew I had to do work what you're talking. I had to, that's real. There was no other way because I'm coming from this non artistic, that's not the right way, but you know what I'm saying. I don't, no, you're, you're approaching it as a craft. Yes. Yeah. That's it. So I had to do that in order for me to be able to live with the results of it. And I'm really glad I did it because the year that that thing came out, I got called for the least amount of gigs ever. Because of the record. Because people started being like, well, what is this guy? What the fuck is wrong with it? What I happened? thought he'd be, he used to be able to play on my stuff, but, and then in their mind, they're like, he used to be able to play on the stuff, but obviously now he can't because he's making weird duck noises on really? the top. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, the pigeonhole know, thing is amazing. Well, and, and it, it is, and I feel like maybe that's like one clue to my, my fucking abject failure is because in my mind, to put out a record like you put out after all the, you know, everything you had done before it, to the general public or to anyone who's listening, to people who are hiring people, to people who are promoting things, to me, that would spell like, oh, this guy has more range than I thought. Well, I think a certain audience member or a musician or writer or whoever We'll think that. Right. But the majority of people who are time starved as it is, who want everything instantaneous on YouTube or right. Spotify or thing, they're just like, well, that's too weird. I want to deal with it. You know, they don't want, it's, it's, it, I have to think about what this, yeah. per, where this person's coming from. Eh, there's way easier things to deal with over here. So I'm going to go this way. And that's fine because this, my music thing is for, it's my journey. And, uh, when I was able to, to, to separate, uh, the whole, like, my music thing from making a living or you know the monetary aspect of it or the popularity aspect of it then it was a huge boost of freedom to be like okay cool now it's time to make a solo mezzo soprano record in a mausoleum (laughs) you know and so i had to go through that journey that took 10 15 years and so like i'm behind Right. right so the new solo record is already recorded it's recorded it's mixed it's mixed it's coming out early next year, I think. You're putting it out? Yeah. And you recorded it in a mausoleum? Is that, yes. that what you just said? Yes. Where was that? Uh, there's a there's a mausoleum on the outskirts of Oslo, Norway. You motherfucker. Yeah. You know that place? No. I'm just like, I'm sitting here like deeply envious of now what you're what's, already Now what's deep to me is that I've listened to your new solo record uh-huh. a ton. And the ambiance you, you... So I... Flew halfway, literally halfway across the world uh-huh. and rented this place, this pitch black place uh-huh. with 20 second reverb uh-huh. and crafted, spent a whole day in the dark uh-huh. and made this record. 
And what's amazing is there are so many parallels to your latest solo record. Right. There's a couple pieces on there that in the vibe, yeah, in the in the ambiance, in the ambiance, but also in like the, I mean, the loneliness, the the yeah. the, the, the the isolationness yeah. of it, if yeah. that's a word. But uh, and I man, I I start, the first listen through of your record, I just was shaking my head because I'm like, man, that these records are like. Um, they're like kindred spirits. Uh, dude, why have you not sent it to me? Well, because it's not mastered yet. You send it to me. I want to hear it. But here's the thing. I appreciate what you just said, first of all. Um, I made that record where we're sitting right now. Well, but and then and then I started shaking my head more because I'm like, I flew halfway across the world and spent a bunch of money to do it. Right, because no, I did I the the vibe and the isolation and desolation thing that's on both records, you were able to capture it. In a completely more, more sane way than me. No, no, I would I would beg to differ because <laughs> what you did is healthier and more authentic because you said I'm gonna sp- uh, yes you did all your prep work you you know you practiced and 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 evolved your ideas over time but you went into the real environment you went in and said I'm gonna I'm gonna execute this music you know in real time. I mean, and and the just to be fair, like the pieces that you're describing on my record, those are one take pieces. Um, as where versus like what I did is more like a serial killer, like sitting here <laughs> in like his own you know fucking crazy world, just sort of like spending way too much time. Okay, so but if we discount any sort of like, if you have in your mind that like you missed out on that thing, yeah. discounting anything like that, the end results are the same. Not the same, you know, but yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So who's the crazy one, actually? But actually, for me, I needed to go do that. I, I, I so. guess what I'll say is, if if you put me, if you put two pieces of paper in front of me with two scenarios on them and said, "Hey, for your enjoyment, pick the one you prefer: traveling to Norway in a mausoleum or spending like a year in your disgusting apartment," you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, but some people would say, well, fuck that. I don't want to go travel. That's Where true. am I going to go? Expensive hotel, like right. a burger is $40 in, in Norway. Really? Yeah. Was it a good burger? Yeah. yeah. So wait, Great beers you, and stuff, but, but some people don't want to do that. And why was this mausoleum important to you? Well, uh, I was traveling in, in Oslo years ago, and I had heard that there was this mausoleum, and we had a day. We happened to be in Oslo on the one day of the month that, that the mausoleum was open. So I went and took a bus. And walked through it and just was freaked out. By how just in, what? It's just insane. The the right. the, the mausoleum. It's the Vigeland mausoleum, Emanuel Vigeland mausoleum outside of Oslo. Now his brother uh, is the guy. There's a main like the Central Park of Oslo is this huge park with tons of great sculptures and stuff. And his brother, another Vigeland, is the guy who created that. So when Oslo put out, when the government of Norway said, okay, we're we're planning a big park. In, in Oslo, it's an open call. Anyone who wants to put in a design, do it, we'll pick a winner. Mm-hmm. So both Vigeland brothers put in, amongst other people, put in a design. And they picked the one Vigeland guys for to be the national park thing. And so the Emmanuel Vigeland, who didn't win, had a little chip on his shoulder, I think, from it. So because the other guy became a national hero, like, oh, the, the biggest park in all of Norway, like, Okay. So then this guy, Emmanuel, he builds this mausoleum outside. He builds a, a building outside that was going to be a museum for all his works. And then near the end of his life, he's like, ah, oh, man, people don't really care about my stuff. 
So what he did, instead of making it a museum, he transported, he boarded up all the walls, all the, all the windows and everything. He built, he, he painted these gigantic murals of really messed up, awesome, skeletal, orgy, yeah. like weird phallic things, like, this is a vibe like weird babies and like, like, you know, weird earth destruction, you know, apocalyptic everything. How, how old is this place? Uh, I don't know. I think it's from the sixties. Okay. I could be wrong though. Okay. Um, but, uh, or it's a, maybe it's a little older than that actually. But, um, so I, so I went in there and I'm just, so, so he built this place. The, the key of this place, the, 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 the thing for me was he builds this place. You go in there and you see your eyes take minutes to adjust cause it's pitch black. You go like this and it goes, you're describing 20 seconds. like all I want. It's a, you gotta go sometime. It's amazing. And so you, you stay as long as you want. And when you leave, you turn around and the door is about three feet tall. So in order to get in, you have to like, like crawl. Yeah. Kind of like you duck in to get in. And to get out, you have to duck out. But the catch is that his, there's a vase, there's an urn with his ashes that are right above the door. So you have to be super so, careful. No. So when you leave, you're bowing down to him when you leave. So he, so he, quote, unquote, so he wins. He quote unquote wins. Because you come and see this thing, and then you're bowing to him as he leaves. That is so hooked up. So I'm leaving, and I, I, I was leaving that first time bowing down to him. I'm like, man, I got to record it here. Yeah. There's going to be some day when it's going to be the right project to do. Wait, so did you bring, you brought an engineer in? I brought my, my buddy from Chicago that engineered the Sopranino record. Uh-huh. I brought him with. He packed up a little mobile thing, yep. and you guys went over there. Yep. And so, like, we're talking about yeah. putting out your own records being yeah. expensive. Like, man, that's two flights to Norway. Right. That's two hotel rooms. That's food. For a couple of days, and how much? Did, well, yeah, and then well you, whatever. Right, right, right. And then you had to pay to to secure the space. Yeah, but actually, that's so reasonable. Worth it, dude. If you if you have any, it's totally worth it. It's totally reasonable to you. It's so worth it. But anyway, it's so worth it, dude. Dude, you, it's so worth it. I mean, I, I'm I, super I, happy with it. I can't imagine like when you sit back and you look at your record. You know, we 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 spoke a few minutes ago about like that time capsule, you know, milestone aspect of it. And when you sit back and say, hey, man, me and my boy fucking flew oh. to Europe and did this, made the craziest record we could possibly make in the craziest space we could possibly find, what, what's better than that? Oh, dude, when we were having dinner that night, I took him out to a great dinner afterwards. And we, like, you know, had, had some drinks and cheers and stuff. Like, wow. And then we, like, we both went quiet for a couple of minutes. Just like, we, we were just, like, exhausted, right? What but just also, happened? but also, like, yeah, we we're just thinking about it. And, I've been buddies with this guy since, you know, early 90s. Or and let me friends. just say, there's nothing better than that. Like, oh, so great. Hitting these milestones with the people that you've been with forever. Oh, so awesome. We, we were just sitting there for a couple minutes, looking around, and then at the exact same second, we looked at each other and just started cracking up. Because we're like, we put, what the hell? This yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And so not only are we both really happy with the results, but like it was just an amazing experience. So like, you know, like that has nothing to do with Instagram likes or like Facebook likes or how many followers I have on Twitter or any social media any shit or any fu- financial yeah. or popular. That doesn't matter that this, the experience of it, but also the hard work put, that I put into it, which will pay off in some other intangible ways down the line or whatever. Uh, that's, that's the shit. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's what keeps me going in this music. And so like a lot of, you see a lot of people doing the social media thing, like really going for it nonstop and stuff. And that stuff just doesn't interest me because that social media if you have these real, a, it's a cancer. You have these creativity. real experiences and that's what, what I do it for. Yeah. 
and these the real experience thing can be anything it can be like that or hanging out with bandmates in the middle of nowhere europe right and just doing stupid stuff Man, or I, whatever I did, I did a hang yesterday with jamie saft cat cat a fucking cat like capital letters c-a-t mm-hmm. um it was one of these like last minute things where he's like, "Hey man, I'm gonna be in town. Let's go grab breakfast at Shopsons." And like we, it was an afternoon hang, you know, two three hours, and it was balls out. We were cracking each other that's, up. That's the best. We were walking the Lower East Side, just like people were looking at us, like, "What is wrong with these guys?" You know, that's the best. And like today, we were both like simultaneously texting each other, like, "Epic hang yesterday, classic <laughs> hang." And it, it's that. It's like you know, you're not looking at your phone, and it is. I mean, like my face was blue. We were laughing. He took a picture of me, and it's the only picture I've ever seen that I'm like, I like that picture because <laughs> I'm cracking up and I'm laughing so hard that like my head is banging against this countertop. See, now that's the, now that's the deal. Like, if you can get that relationship with people who are in the same sphere, musically and philosophically, where you're coming from, then yeah. that's that's the recipe for great. It, it's great like weirdly, stuff. it's it, like, part of it. It's like a celebration of being understood, even for like a few minutes. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's the best. And so this is the thing, you know, you have willful, willful willfully ignorant guys who are going to pull some ageist or racist stuff on you, but they don't matter. They don't matter. And uh, every project that I do, for, you know, the more and more records I do as a leader or a co-leader or whatever, like, and the more and more experience I have of these great things, those the asshole guys and girls, they don't doesn't matter. Right. Because they're just, they're trying to fill some kind of void with their shit. Right. But if you get to go, if you get to hang with Saft and I get to go to some mausoleum and spend a day in complete <laughs> dark, and that's what we like, then, you know, that's, that's, that's I mean, the good thing. I feel like you've been good all along about, like, because you made one of your records at Sear Sound. Mm-hmm. No? Mm-hmm. One, more than one. Or just one. I think I just done one of my own there. Yeah, but that was a, I mean, that's a choice. Yeah. That's a decision. I mean, yeah. and clearly you knew that Sirius Sound was like where you go to make a serious record. Yeah, yeah. But then also, one of my rec- a couple of my records have been done in like the worst recording studios. Sure, you know, like but sometimes like, you have to do that. Yeah, yeah. And it's it all comes it all adds up. If you're if you're, I would tell my students if you're if you know you're in a life lifetime of music, it's not just one thing. Then you you're not putting all your eggs in that basket where this record has to be the perfect one. That's part that's part of like a sense of wisdom and acceptance that comes with age. And I realized I was having this conversation with someone the other day and we started talking about happiness. And I was like, Man, there's no such man, fuck happiness. There's no such thing. <laughs> and they and they were oh, why are you gonna be so dark? I was like, It's not about being dark. It's about realizing that life is a series and this is me thinking this right now, I'll probably change my mind later, but it's life's a series of decisions. You're constantly making decisions and, you know, sometimes those decisions lead to like a sense of contentment or a sense of bewilderment or whatever it is. But it's like you're not going to do any one thing that's going to make you happy like in a broad spectrum. It's like it's a small number of things, you know. Yeah. I was happy to spend an afternoon with my friend yesterday, but that was that moment. You know, it's not there's no such thing as like an overall happiness. That's absurd. That's for like little kids, you know. (laughs) Is that crazy? Well, I don't know. Like I try to. I don't know happiness like give me a break like it's it's literally <laughs> you know i made a decision to email you and say hey let's come over like it'll be fun to fucking talk a little shit on the microphone again you know <laughs> and i'm enjoying this moment greatly you know but it, that's what it is it's a moment and then you know the decision that i'm gonna do later to like you know i don't know fucking make beans for my wife well Hopefully you gotta you gotta be happy about that uh, yeah i know i mean i don't know 
I feel like everyone's temperament comes into play with their art and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we're going to get all general and, and racist and stuff, like the, the, one of the, one of the, 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 one of the traits, uh, one of the, the general, totally generalistic traits of being a a Filipino people is that they're fun loving. Yeah. But that one never gets thrown in a, as a, from a racist into my face. Right. (laughs) Because that's just cool. Right. So, so, but anyways, like, I feel like part of my, where I'm coming from musically, I, you don't choose that, but like a lot of the sense in most of my music has this thing of like fun and yeah. experimentalness and just joy. Yeah. And I need to keep that because that's part of who What's I who am. who you are. Exactly. So, so I don't know if I've, as a person, if I generally keep that fun loving thing from day to day, then I guess that's how I feel about life. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know. But, uh. But I know plenty of people who say fuck happiness too, and they make awesome art, and it doesn't right. matter as long as they are cool from day to day. I don't feel like fuck happiness. I just feel like I want every moment. I want the moment to matter, you know, and I want to make decisions that allow a moment to be joyful. And but just knowing that it's not it's not one big thing; it's a small oh, thing yeah, that's yeah. happening constantly. You yeah, know? yeah. But some of the man, some of the greatest musicians that i know and have got had an opportunity to play with and that i don't get to play with a ton because they're like so busy and uh-huh. like famous and all that stuff they just have this thing where everything's consistent like uh-huh. I, like uh they just it's almost like they expect if we're using the happiness as an example or whatever they just expect to be happy and they're like all the things that start coming their way like the happiness thing is drawn to them it's really strange. You get back what you put out. Yes. Often. Yes. Not always. Not always. Most of the time, and with some regularity, you can count on what you put out is going to come back to you. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Because then you can actually choose your own, you choose your shit. The willfully ignorant guy that we're going to keep coming back to, apparently. What, what did he put like, out what, there? Like, what's he, right now, like, we're having a great conversation, right? Yeah. This guy, right, right now, is just sulking somewhere. Right. He's going through stupid personal stuff right. and that's probably I, I i actually know there's like so much more to the story but whatever like i actually know that he's going through a hard time personally right now so that can help me excuse some of the bs that he was giving but me. like you know like you, you've hung with zorn right yeah like when you go Love on that, that guy on that hang and you know he is his whole trip is like put color into the world you know put color into the world and like you like I, i've been hanging with zorn for fucking you know a gazillion years now and i always leave those hangs like man i can do anything i feel so, great i feel so, inspired i feel ready to work and it's because he has made a conscientious decision he knows for his own well-being he needs to talk to the cab driver the same way he talks to you know the fucking conductor of whatever you know Right. It's like it's putting color into the world. So two things about that. One, Zorn is one of these guys who's not going to kowtow to his elder. Well, now he is one of but the he guys does. to a certain degree. Yeah. But if the elder starts pulling some weird yeah, shit on him, he's yeah. not dealing with that. No, no. So that's one of the lessons I've learned from him mm-hmm. is that's, man, put your foot down when it's time. Uh, but also the other thing is that like, so I've only met Zorn, you know, I've been in New York since 2001 and I only started hanging with him. And playing some of his music for the last year and a half, maybe. Right. And so this is what I'm talking about. Before that, my career path and my music path was not going to intersect with Zorns anywhere. Right. And like for for a bunch of years before that. 
uh, until I started making a conscious decision. I'm like, well, and it wasn't even conscious. It was a decision that happened over time over these little decisions. I'm like, well, actually, no, I get way more joy playing this kind of music or this thing with this person. So I'm going to start going on this path a little bit. And then after a few years, I'm like, wait, I'm like really trying to make some more non-palatable, more creative things or whatever. Non-palatable to a regular, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. regular people. Um, so because I've been on this particular path for a bunch of years, I finally intersect with Zorn and now I just had lunch with him the other day and yes I feel the exact same way he's so inspiring to be around mm-hmm. he's he's lived it he's lived the life and he can tell you exactly how he got to where he got and 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 give you tons of great advice yeah and uh so that's the kind of inspiration I want to be around yeah and he's real at 24 hours a day he's thinking about his art and he's going for it yeah and man that energy is it's contagious you dig you dig 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 <laughs> Dude, dude, this has been a fucking awesome talk. It's awesome. All right, we're good. Let's look at the solo shit. Okay. Rabbit guy. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thank you, dude. John Irabagon. I really, really dig Irabagon, man. You hear that music in the background? That's from John's first solo record that we talked about from three years ago. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Do yourselves a favor. Go out and, and and engage with it because it's worthy of your time and consideration. You dig? Johnrobagon.com. That's where you'll find out more about him. That's it. We're done. Um, we'll be back next week. Next week, me and another tenor saxophonist. I feel like the last several weeks has been like only tenor saxophonists. Is that is that true? All right. Hope you guys are cool. Check out Arabagon, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye